thankful ice. Uh, all things that we should be thankful to God for. So uh, let's uh, pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for the sunshine and for the, the smiles on the faces here today. Lord, we're so grateful for the life that you've given us, uh, for the things that come in that make it difficult for living and for working and for being with our families. God, we thank you that we get to experience life. Lord, we ask that you would uh, give us the strength to overcome the obstacles and to see the joy that you provide through us or for us through all of these things. Uh, Lord, we give credit to you because we know that all good things come from you, Lord, and that you give us strength to get through all the difficult things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we are going through a road of discipleship this year. And today we're going to be in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. If you have your scriptures and would like to read along with me. John chapter 2, starting with verse 13. And we're focusing on discipleship. So we're going to see the disciples only for a small portion of this text, but it is an important one. John chapter 2, verse 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem in the temple area and he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep, the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and he turned over their tables. Then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, What are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What? they exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Hey, there's a lot packed into the scripture that I just read. The first point that I want to address today is that godly people always need to act when they see something wrong. They always need to act when they see something wrong. And I don't need to warn anyone that we are going to come across wrong things in this path of discipleship. So how do we handle these wrong things that we'll come across? What do we do when we see them, when we are confronted with them? Well, we go to Jesus, uh, and he teaches us how to handle life in general and life in specific. So if we were to apply how Jesus lived his life, 
and what he did, then we would see uh, three different ways to handle it at least. In some situations, we would understand that we need to get away and pray. Get away and pray. This is something that Jesus did when he was ministering to people. He would draw back and go to a place of seclusion and talk to God as Father. He would regroup. He would get energy. He would get realigned with his purpose and be better able to jump back into action and know exactly what the Lord wanted him to do. The scripture tells us that there are sins that we need to run from, to flee from, sexual immorality and idolatry specifically. Get away from them. Get away and pray. And hey, some situations, we need to respond with compassion. So some we need to get away and pray, and some we need to respond with compassion. We always need to love people. Always need to love people. And showing a good deal of compassion usually gets good results. When someone is in sin and you show them compassion, the Holy Spirit will often work through you to soften their heart and bring them repentance. Hey, there are many examples of Jesus having compassion on others. Oh, he was, he was the best at it, at loving other people, at healing them, at, at giving them words of telling them how much they meant to him. And we should do the same. We should share compassion with those who need it, even when they are difficult. Sharing compassion is one of those ways that we can respond to wrong situations. Some situations, we need to draw a line and stand hard against the wrong that we see. Draw a line and stand hard against the wrong. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't always have a line uh, or that we shouldn't always show compassion. What I'm saying is that sometimes the best way that we can love someone is to hold the line. So whatever situation you come across on your road of discipleship, whether you are traveling it uh, yourself being discipled or you are discipling someone else, you must do something when you come across a wrong situation. Uh, you could get away and pray. You could respond with compassion or hold the line. Things go south when godly people do nothing. In the text we just read, Jesus held the line. Now what drove Jesus to do this? What drove him to react the way he did in an angry way, in a frustrated way? What drove him to do that? Why did he get worked up? In this case, uh, why was he worked up? And in other cases, he handled with uh, complete uh, calmness. He dealt with a lot of situations where he was perfectly calm. Why in this situation did he get worked up? 
Our answer is in John chapter 2, verse 17. Passion for God's house will consume me. Passion. Another word for that is zeal. Zeal for God's house. Some translations say zeal. The passion for God's house consumed Jesus. You need that in your life. That word, passion, you need it in your life. All of us need this passion, this zeal in our life. And I don't mean in a general sense, like passion for your hobby or passion for your occupation, which it's okay to have passion for those things. Most of us, that kind of thing comes natural. But sometimes we can get uh, real angry when something gets in the way of our occupation or our hobby. Like this afternoon when somebody walks in between you and the TV when you're watching the Chiefs and the Ravens and the Chiefs are about to make a touchdown. You might get angry. You say, I, I have passion for football for this particular game and don't get in my way. You may become angry. That's, that's, that's passion. But it's not the kind of passion that Jesus had because... He has passion for God's house. When he became angry, passion consumed him. Now listen, if you get consumed by any kind of passion, consumed by it, let it only be the passion for the Lord in his house. This Past week, we became temporarily separated from our dear brother Art. One thing that was uh, very important to our brother Art was being in church on Sunday morning. Even when Olive couldn't make it, he insisted on coming, if possible. Even at 90 years old, 90-some years old. Art had this strong drive to come to this house and to worship the Lord with his brothers and sisters. Art lost most of his hearing years ago in the military. And it got to the point to where uh, these past few years, he couldn't hardly hear a word I was preaching. But he still insisted on coming. Solomon said it didn't matter to him. He had to be here every Sunday that he could. Now, why? I believe that it was passion for God's house. Now, the neat thing is that Jesus points out in this scripture the house that Art had passion for was not a building, but it was Jesus himself temple. Folks, we could do no better than to be consumed by passion for our Savior Jesus Christ. So let me go over what happens in the text here. Jesus, he comes to the temple and he finds uh, two offenses happening in the temple. 
And at this point in time, the temple was a place that was called God's house. And Jesus was about to transform that. And he comes to it and he finds two offenses. The first one was that the merchants were selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices in the temple. Now, there's nothing wrong with selling animals for sacrifices. That was part of the system before Jesus to uh, buy an animal if you didn't raise your own, a perfect animal, and then to take it and have it sacrificed. It was giving of yourself, giving of your, of your money to purchase this living thing that would die for your sin. That was a normal part, so that wasn't the offense. And there's nothing wrong with the kinds of animals here. Cattle, sheep, doves, all of these were approved animals. Plenty of animals were not approved for sacrifices, and, and these were okay. The problem is, number one, the business is happening in the wrong place. The business is happening in the wrong place. Remember when Paul talks about distractions in the place of worship? In the letters that Paul writes, he says, is there, there, there are things that are happening inside of the places of worship, and they're distracting other people. And he gives some outlines, like um, different ways, you know, don't, don't be distracting with your hair or by your speech, because your focus is to be on God. And can you imagine in the temple, in a situation where you come in, and there are people in the temple selling these animals for sacrifice, and one guy is over here, and he's, he's selling doves. He says, I got, I got doves for 50 50 cents, 50 cents is the best buy around. And the next guy over here on his table, he's saying, oh, I got doves for 75 cents, but my doves will take off more of your sin if you buy my doves because they're prettier or more perfect. And so the, the distraction of merchants inside of there selling animals must have been uh, distracting. And Jesus says, no, this business is happening in the wrong place. The second problem is, is that they were evidently making a serious profit, uh, pr profit from selling these animals. The Gospel of Matthew records Jesus saying, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, he says, uh, that you have turned my house into a den of thieves. Den of thieves. This gives us the idea that, boy, they weren't just there to, well, help folks get an animal to atone for their sin. They were here to make some extra money, to benefit off of the house of the Lord. They were here to take advantage of people that were coming to be forgiven of their sin, taking advantage. And Jesus wasn't about to put up with people stealing money by charging exorbitant rates. So here's their other offense. The dealers at the tables were exchanging foreign money. And at first, th that doesn't really make sense. Uh, there, were, there were money exchangers. Sounds kind of convenient. But the problem with this is that there were two kinds of currency at that time. There was regular Roman coins and then Tyrian coins. And evidently, the Tyrian coins were uh, pure silver, and they were a more quality type of currency. And they were what was accepted for things like the temple tax. And the Tyrian coins didn't exactly match up with the regular Roman coins. There was no direct conversion 
Um, so the changers would take uh, regular Roman money and give you pure silver coins, but it was easy for them to charge more for that. Again, they're just patting their own wallets, taking advantage of people needing their sins forgiven. And Jesus wasn't putting up with it. Making extra money in both of these cases. Now here's how he handled it. Very intentionally. You notice that it said that he made a whip. Jesus uh, took the time, and I don't know how much time it would have been, but he, he, he must have came to the temple, and he's seen what was happening, and he says, okay. And he finds some cord somewhere, and he makes a whip. I don't know, it doesn't say if he wove it, or if he uh, tied it together in a certain way, but it says made. He didn't just pick up or find, or he didn't find a rope and use it as a whip. He made a whip. It had to take some time. Jesus was very intentional. This was not a fly-off-the-handle moment. Have you ever heard that phrase, fly-off-the-handle? You know where that comes from? So back in, in the times where we didn't have chainsaws, and uh, f- folks would uh, chop down a tree with an axe, probably a double, double-headed axe, double-bit axe, and so big old axe, and, and you know, you'd be chopping down a tree, and I guess once in a while, um, if your axe head wasn't on secure enough, it would fly off the handle. Can you imagine the axe head flying off the handle? Probably didn't happen very often. Uh, how often do you fly off the handle? Maybe more often than an axe head would. But when an axe head flies off the handle, can you imagine that? Nobody knows where it's going. Whatever is in its path, doesn't matter if it's innocent or if it's guilty, it's going to be damaged. It's going to be broken. It's going to be cut. That axe head, whoever it's flying, is going to do great damage. It flew off the handle. Nobody can control it. Fly off the handle, man. Just uh, yesterday, I was reading, reading my scripture, actually, and while I was reading there, a Nerf dart found its way from the barrel of my son's pistol all the way across the room and smacked me square in the eye. Like, I must have been, I've been shot in the eye with an air, a Nerf dart a hundred times at least. It happens so often. But this time, and I don't know why it is, but I... It's a fly off the handle moment. And it hit me square in the eye, so center, dead center in the eye, that I felt my other eye go out a little bit with a hydronic shock. And I seen sparks as it hit my eyes. <laughs> but you know what? I, mean, I must be getting more mature because after the, you know, the previous 99 times I flew off the handle. This time I did not fly off the handle, although I wanted to. I didn't fly off the handle. Jesus did not fly off the handle at this moment. He was very intentional, and he deliberately chased them out. He deliberately handled the situation with his whip that he made. This activity that was happening 
did not belong in the temple. The activity didn't belong. Now the people, they could be there. The people could be welcome, but the activity couldn't be there. Man, we are sinners just like these people. Jesus calls us to himself, and we can be with Jesus. But the message here is that we can come to Jesus, but the activity of our sin cannot. And thankfully, we can separate ourselves from our sin activity by the grace of Jesus. That's why he died on the cross. And that's why he was resurrected again, so we could be separated from our sin. The activity is not allowed, but the people are. Jesus very intentionally, very deliberately chased them out. A lot of times we think of this situation and we use it maybe, maybe to justify our fly-off-the-handle moments where Jesus just came in and, and he just was stalk-raving mad and just, just turning the tables over and stuff is flying. And I don't know, maybe that could be the case, but I tend to think that this was uh, Jesus had held it together better than that. Here's the, the series of, event, of events that took place. He made a whip. He chased them out with his whip. And they were outside, the people. And then he scattered the coins on the floor. Scattered the coins. And that idea that we usually think of just flipping the tables and the coins go scattering, in a sentence, it says it's a two-part deal. He, uh, he chased them out, scattered the coins. And I don't know what the coins would have been in, maybe a bucket or something, maybe a basket. He got the people out, and now he's got the coins, the, the booty, the, uh, what was collected for the, the selling the doves at exorbitant prices. And he took it and then spread it on the floor. And I, I scattered it. I just imagined that maybe he was looking at them at the same time. He scattered the coins. Like, it's not for you anymore. All this that you thought you earned, I'm done with it. No longer in my house. Remember, Jesus is very intentional. This isn't a fly-off-the-handle moment. The next thing he does is he turned the tables. He turned it. It's to say to the merchants... And the money changers, you're not coming back. Flip. You did business on this table before. It's upside down now. You can't come back and do business here on this table anymore. He turned them over. He didn't leave any more, any more possibility for them to come back. Folks, there is one reason that there needs to be a table in God's house, and that's to feed His people. Every table in God's house should be to feed His people. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Do you remember Psalm 23? 
And it's not the other way around. It's not my enemies prepare a table before me in the presence of the Lord flips the table. That's not the table. Understand this. The Lord prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. The enemy, he only gets to watch from the outside as the Lord takes care of us. Turn the tables over. Next thing. Next thing. The disciples remembered. The disciples remembered. And here's here's the real uh, part of this that we can apply to our lives because we're talking about discipleship. The disciples remembered. Church, remember our focus this whole year on discipleship. This is scripture that we read from John today mentions the disciples remembering something twice. Today's scripture mentions remembering something two times. They are watching the whole time, remember. The disciples are probably there. And so they see everything that's going on. Jesus making the whip and driving them out and turning the tables and and spreading the coins, scattering the coins. When Jesus said, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace, John 2.17, they remembered Remembered, passion for God's house will consume me. And that comes from Psalms chapter 69, verse 9, by the way. Passion for your house has consumed me. And so it's really neat uh, that uh, the, the uh, disciples are able to plug in the Old Testament scripture with what is coming and what is happening right then with Jesus. How cool would it have been? It can be cool for you too if we remember the scripture and see God working in our lives. It can be the same thing. It can come to our memory. The second time, uh, John two verse twenty two is after the resurrection. Uh, after he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures. And what Jesus had said. Now, this verse is relating, you know, fast-forwarding to after Jesus was raised again. And they remembered. They remembered. And they linked it. And the result was that they believed. They believed both the scripture and what Jesus had said. And their faith was increased because of this. Now there's a real good reason to remember important things. Think of all the important things you have in your life that you should remember or uh, that you do remember or maybe that you forget and wished you would remember. Think of all those important things and how easy it would make life if you could remember them. It will increase your faith if you remember the most important things, which is what Jesus did and what he said. Do not forget what Jesus did. And do not forget what he said. He said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Pharisees, they wanted a sign. Remember talking about signs last week? 
signs. You know, they can be a, a big deal. And the Pharisees, they must have heard about the sign in Cana maybe. So they say, oh, this guy will give us a sign. We want a sign. If you're going to tear this temple down and rebuild it in three days, um, or if, you, if you're going to throw these people out of the temple, give us a sign. They demand, and then Jesus says, okay, tear the temple down, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And the Pharisees, of course, goes over their head. They don't know what's going on, but the disciples, they remembered after the resurrection. They put it together. Now, my memory isn't so good. I know there's a lot of things that a person can remember and some things stick in our mind that, man, we don't want stuck in our mind. There's a lot of different ways to remember. You know, my, uh, my daughter and, and my mom has these bracelets that have the first letter of each word of a verse of Scripture, and they remember it that way, and they're really good. But it's sometimes really hard to remember the Scripture, but the more you're reading it and the more you're immersed in God's Word, the more the idea will stick in our hearts and our minds, and we'll be able to bring it up when God wants us to recall it and when he wants us to plug it into our lives. Jesus did rebuild the temple by rising from death. came up from the grave. He rebuilt the temple and there's no reason why we won't be raised, raised up out of this world and into our home in heaven if we will trust in him. There's no reason. This world that we live in, it's full of wrong things. We can deal with it in our own ways or we can deal with it in Jesus' way. But the results we only want if we let Jesus guide us in dealing with it in His way. This world has got a lot of problems. We must remember that it is not our home. We're only here temporarily. It won't be long before we're in a place that is absolutely perfect, where uh, the temple of God is within us. And he tells us now that part of that is with us now. That his kingdom is partially here as we get to work with his Holy Spirit within us. If you're going to follow Jesus, and we've got to follow the way that he treats other people, and that's discipleship. He wants us to make disciples. He wants us to love others. Have passion for his house. Remember, this world is not our home. Pray with me now. Dear Jesus, uh, we're so grateful for our Savior and the passion that he had. Lord, we are thankful that Jesus gave his life for us, and we know that it must, it must be sorrowful to see people here now using your temple, God, using Jesus to gain like during Christmas time when we worship you that you've been born. And Lord, uh, 
people make so much money on holidays that are be fo focused on you. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for uh, not keeping you front and center. God, we thank you for the example of having passion. Lord, we thank you that uh, we get to be part of your body as the church. Lord, we ask that you would give us the courage to uh, stand up and act when we see wrong things. Lord, we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat>